It's Football Friday, which means a brand spanking new Across the Line episode for you. And this week is special because we are debuting something fresh. Call it the Coach's Corner or Coach's Questions. We might need your help on naming the segment, but essentially we receive a ton of questions regarding coaching on our Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And luckily for us, we've got the right people to answer your questions. We've got Chris Greatwich, head of the KFC Academy on one side. And on the other, we've got fascinating guests who have endless knowledge. For this episode, we brought in Rob Gear who is not only a friend of the show, but also the head of the Reading Women's Academy. So he's got plenty of experience and knowledge to share. And today we get to two questions. This is part one of a two-part conversation. And the two questions we answer in part one are, do you double down on the strengths of a player or do you take more time to work on their weaknesses? The second question being, when you have a young top prospect, how do you know that person is going to become a star down the road? What are the traits? What are the skills? So what are you looking for to properly estimate a person's ability to fulfill their potential? These two questions will be answered in great depth on this show and it's of great value not only to coaches, uh, but to players and to parents who are looking to get their kids on the right track. But also, it's a fascinating listen for individuals like myself, who are not exactly coaches, but would like an insight into how coaches think, right? This is a fascinating chat. I enjoyed it, I hope you do. If you do find that this is something that you are interested in, please do share it to a friend and do subscribe to YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. We are across the line on many, many platforms, all right? And look for us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Interact with us on social media. We'd love to hear more of your questions, or if you've got a suggestion for what you'd like to name this segment, uh, hit us up over there, all right? Without further ado, here is part one of this conversation with Rob Gear, Chris Greatwich, and myself. Enjoy. Here on Across the Line, we endeavor to always be very informative with the world of Philippine football, but today we're going a little bit more in-depth in the world of coaching, and we've got a real treat for you guys because joining us today is Rob Gear. How's it going, Rob? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me again. Rob, of course, uh, very much uh, experienced in the world of coaching, and so is my partner, Christopher Greatrich. How are you, Chris? I'm very good, Jing. Thank you. Um, we, we wanted to get Rob on, on the show, um, obviously, initially to talk about his footballing experiences. But we, as, as most of you know, he's with um, Reading Women's Academy right now, um, doing some great things with them. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to, to pick his brain a little bit, talk about youth football and coaching in general. So um, Rob and I have been in discussions over the past uh, week or two about how we can kind of put together uh, an episode that's geared around uh, coaching specifically in the youth arena, but also with some of our experiences that we've had in, with, with me with the national team and, and sort of philosophy type um, questions as well. So yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for us to, to have this conversation now, delve deep into the coaching um, aspect and, and maybe enlighten some of our coaches that listen, some of the kids that listen, and hopefully spread a bit of knowledge, Jing. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And as you said, for the coaches and for players as well, I reckon this is going to be very beneficial for all, right? So let's jump right in. We've got four questions that we're going to tackle today. Two for Chris, two for Rob. 
and uh, we're gonna dive right in, right? The first question that we got is um, actually something that we've touched on before in a previous episode, and it's something that is debated around not only in football, but in all sports, and in fact, uh, even outside of sports, right? In, in life in general. The question is whether you should work on your weaknesses or double down on your strengths. Uh, this one is directed at Rob. What do you think is the best approach, particularly, let's say, for kids who are still developing in the game of football? I think you have, I think both have to be done. I think you can do both, and I think both have to be done, um, is my personal opinion. Um, I think a lot of it comes from confidence as well when you're a youngster when you are you have an identity you have some a certain aspect of your game that is better than everyone else and that will obviously breed confidence when you're playing when you're training however that may be you will be seen as that person that can dribble past people or you're really good in the air or you're really good at reading the game and making tackles whatever that may be so i mean my my, my question to everyone would be what as a coach what would what do you want? Do you want a, a good all-round player, be it when they eventually develop and they come into like the professional arena or as they get older, do you want a good all-round player or do you want a good all-round player that is also excellent and excels in a certain area of the game? Free kicks, for example, whatever that may be. And as me personally as a coach, I'd want that second one. I'd want an excellent all-round player that is also excellent at specific thing that identifies them and puts them above the parapet of everyone else in their squad in their group now it comes on to the kind of million dollar question about how do you do that how do you go about doing that and how do you go about um kind of marking that and judging that as they develop and i know there's a lot of different kind of ways that people and, and coaches and organizations try to track development um and it's very difficult to do, I think, because it's very subjective to the coach and the people that are watching it. I know in basketball, we've got, I know an organization that do like, um, they have like a skills wheel. So all the different kind of physical attributes that you would need and technical attributes that you would need as a basketball player, they would then mark out of a certain score mm. out of 10. Um, and then over the course of the year, you would sit down and have regular conversations about how that might change throughout the course of the year. And have you got better at your, I mean, I don't, excuse my like, lack of knowledge on basketball and stuff, but are you good at hitting a, what are your free throw percentage like? Has it got better? Are you better at, I don't know, um, three point shots or whatever that may be, you know, and I'm sure there's a million and one different other kind of um, areas within basketball as well. But for football, I think it was, it was a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult to do. So at our academy, how we kind of, um, how we track development, we have all our players are given um, a PDP, which is a professional development plan. When they join us at, at, in their first year, they're all given a player development plan, an individual player development plan. And how that works, we, it's very, very collaborative. We involve the player right from the beginning. I think that's really important. Um, so our initial conversation when they join us would be we sit down together, we, get, we literally give them a piece of paper and say, right, I need you to write down your three super strengths. What do you think you are better at than anyone else in this squad? What sets you apart from anyone else? And then what three areas, three key areas do you want to work on? What three key areas do you think you need to develop to become a 
professional footballer. It's essentially is what we're doing. It's what we're trying to do. They'll go away. They'll write that down. Then we come back probably after another couple of weeks or so, or however long, it won't be too long into the season, but we'll sit down again and then we can construct that development plan together. So um, in our player development plan, we have, we have their three super strengths, whatever that may be for that individual person. And we write that down on, they have their plan and that, that's their plan for the whole year. Um, so they have their three strengths. So they, then that would be a combination of what they thought their super strengths are and a combination of what we as coaches view as their super strengths as well. Sometimes you marry up perfectly. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes they think they're rubbish at something and sometimes you think you're, they're really good at something. Oftentimes you're, you're on the same page because they're intelligent girls and they're intelligent players and they, they understand the game. So we have those three super strengths that are there front and center of their, of their player development plan. Then we come on to the more difficult stuff of areas that they want to develop. Um, and again, that's, that's, we come up with that through the coach and through the player. Uh, that's a really important aspect to make sure that they've got buy into that as well. So they don't think that these, um, these targets are unachievable. And then we'll, we'll um, whatever their kind of development plan may be, whatever their, their target is for, their, to their, for them to improve, we then then break that down into uh, four different areas or five different areas, sorry. sorry. So let's just say, for example, uh, one player's um, target to get better, one of the areas of weakness that she wants to improve on is, let's say it's crossing from wide areas or, or um, delivery to the back post. From a, from a wide player, let's just say. Okay, so the first marker that they then need to tick off, they have to tick off five different markers in order for, for that weakness or that, that target to be complete. Okay, so the first marker, the first part that they need to tick off is do they understand the context of that, what we're asking them to do? Do they understand why we're, we're, why we're trying to do it? You know, so do they understand the skill involved to do it? Do they understand that they need to get their foot under the ball a little bit more so their body, needs, their body shape needs to be lent back a little bit more to deliver to their back post? Do you know what I mean? So, so first of all, and number one is do they understand the context? Number two, well, number two and number three are pretty similar, actually, is can they execute that regularly now in training? Or No, sorry, are they executing it in training? And are they executing it in games? Because obviously, as we're developing, as the players are developing, we're not expecting them to be 100% perfect all the time, right? So we break, that, we break it down a little bit further and, and give them an attainable goal. Are you able to execute it in games? Are you able to execute that in training? And then the last two then is obviously, are you able to execute it regularly in training? And are you then able to execute it regularly in games? Once you have those five markers off, you know, you kind of tick them off. Um, then that area of that skill that you wanted to work on, we put that to the side. We take that off your player development plan and we put a new one in. Rob, so, sorry. So with that, right. is, that yeah. is that judged with the, with the naked eyes? Is that judged by your perception as the coach? Or is there like corroborative evidence that you're looking with statistical data analysis? Or how are you judging that? Yeah, good, great question. So... We, we're fortunate enough to, to record everything 
uh, we, we, we're not recording training sessions at the moment. We, re we certainly record games. Um, so some of it is subjective from coach, you know, the coach's eye. We have, we'll, we'll have um, a meeting with the individual player every six weeks. Um, so we try and do it like once every half term, if you like, over here in the UK. So once every six weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll sit down, they'll come in, we'll have a meeting with the coaches, it's just an informal chat about their PDP. How are you getting on? How are you seeing that? How is this progressing? We'll have a general chat. Um, alongside that, whilst they're always doing all this stuff, we, we, they'll be having individual sessions from us as coaches as well, as, as well as their normal training sessions. So their, their weaknesses or the areas that they would like to, let's call them areas that they would like to improve rather than weaknesses. Um, they will come to us as coaches and say, look, Rob, I've got, I've got some free time at the moment. Can we go and work on this part of my PDP? Great. We'll go out and we'll work for half an hour, 45 minutes, as often as you want um, to try and improve this area. Um, so they can come to us at any point. It doesn't have to be within that. They don't have to wait six weeks. They can jump in and say, you know what, Rob, I think I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get this now. I think I'm starting to understand what we're doing. Do you remember today in training? Did you see me do that? Did you see that delivery to the back post I hit? Okay, cool. Well, maybe we can do that a little bit more regularly and we can start thinking about ticking this, this area off. Um, how we, how we, kind of view it in games and how we review it in games we give the we put the onus on the player as well as much as anything else we want players to take responsibility for their development at our stage so they'll go away they'll review the games all our games get coded everything gets kind of um, coded to the individual um, so they can go away they can clip up all of their highlights they can go and clip up or see everything you know there's no you can't hide away from a from a video session, as we all know, Chris, that's the worst. You can't, can't hide away from those things. So you've either done it or you haven't, or you've tried to execute and it hasn't quite come off. They can come in. If they think that they've ticked off everything on that, or for that area of improvement, they can come in and sit down and say, look, and it's happened a number of times last season. Players come in, sit down, say, look, Rob, I've just been having a look at over the last three or four games. Um, I think I need to be, I think my PDP needs to change slightly and they'll come up and they'll show us the video clips and the video evidence and we'll sit down and go, do you know what? Yeah, well done. Excellent. That's a great delivery from there. This, that and the other. We could pick about the little other little bits and pieces surrounding that area of improvement as well. So are that's how we're so looking Rob, to continue to develop. Yes, mate. Are, are, we doing this, are you doing the same with the super strengths as well? So you're doing the same, like, you know, like if they said, like, I'm really good at, um, you know, finishing from outside the box, for example, are, are you asking or requiring them to do something similar with, with the super strength as well? Yeah, so the super strengths, we, yeah, exactly. It's, they, they've got their three super strengths. So let's say it would be finishing from outside the box, for example, yeah. like I said. Um, now, how do we further build on that super strength? So we then give them an area for them to work on specifically for that super strength to make sure that they're still continuing to improve it so for example it could be first time finishes from outside the box or can you now look to improve your left foot finishing from outside the box when you're predominantly stronger on your right so they're continually trying to layer upon their super strengths so they're not you know kind of letting those go to the wayside um but we're our main focus is probably on the development of the areas of weakness Okay, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, what, what, sort yeah. Of, what sort of percentage would you place 
on into like your focus is primarily maybe on the week on developing the weaknesses like what would you say your your how would you weight that as a percentage versus your your three super strengths do you think i would go I don't know about percentages, but I mean, we place probably a little bit more, like when we have our six week meetings, it's predominantly about the weaknesses or the areas mm. for improvement, sorry. It's predominantly about those because they, the super strengths are, they are better than anyone else in the, in the group currently at those things, right? So, but we want, I think it's really, really important for those super strengths, whilst we might not be, um, we're very, very conscious of catching people doing good things in the academy. So, you know, it's all very well saying uh, we want to kind of, let's talk about the, the, the crossing analogy again. Okay, we want to, we're very conscious that we don't just want to solely focus on that where it'd be, ah, you know, great effort there. Can you, can you lift it up a little bit more? Can you, can you, you know, um, can you stand it up to the back stick a little bit more whatever that might be we don't want to constantly say you should have done this better you should have done this better we want to catch them being good and especially we pay a lot of attention to that to their super strengths as well brilliant finish that's why that's why that's on your pdp excellent what a great finish that was with your right foot etc etc then praise them in front of their, their peers when they're doing really really well and then maybe we might go back and back revisit that after the session it's like with their super strengths like what finish that was today by the way um could you have taken your first touch a little bit out of your feet a little bit more so you could have generated a little bit more power and a little bit more whip ah yeah and that's how we constantly layer up their super strengths as well catch them being good essentially yeah, yeah. quite interesting so um in terms of working on these specific things whether it's your weaknesses or your strengths then you guys are actively working on the weaknesses right? Making sure that there are things to improve upon and you guys are measuring and ensuring that there is development in that area, right? And in the strength department, you guys are essentially reinforcing positively uh, the areas where they're already good at, right? And maybe just uh, adding on to little areas where they can improve further in that particular area. Like you said, um, finishing outside the box, maybe now finish with your left foot, maybe now finish with a first touch. Um, but primarily, you guys are collaborating on working on overcoming certain areas of improvement. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Now, players, players take the lead on this as well. I can't emphasize this enough. It, right. we, we say to the girls in the academy, you have to take the lead on this. We will be there. You ask us to do an individual session, we will do the individual session. If you want to come and have an individual one-on-one -on -one session with us, tell us what you want to work on. We're not taking the lead on this. We want you to take responsibility for your development. Um, and so you'll find that some girls solely want to work on those areas for, of development when they come and do an individual session, or you, know, you can see them in training actively thinking about that. Some girls aren't quite ready for that yet, and they'll say, um, okay, well, can we go? Can we go and work on? Can we spend half of the time working on my 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 areas for development? But then, can we finish with a little bit of shooting or something that they're particularly good at at the end of that session? Absolutely, that's absolutely fine. Um, we'll obviously we're not we will try and guide them in the right area. I think you, we know we've got this game coming up, and we are asking you to do this tactical element in the game. So maybe we might need to look at this today. Um, that kind of conversation needs to be had. But yeah, I would say. We are layering, um, we're layering their strengths 
throughout the course of the program for sure and yeah big part of it is is kind of upskilling them in other areas of, of, of their, their overall game like i said what do we want do we want good all-round players or do we want good all-round players that are that excel in a certain area as well um more 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 than anything else you have to appreciate the girls individualism and the thing that they're specifically good at because it helps them with their confidence it gives them identity that's a really important mental aspect of, of their development as well because if you strip that back um it can be quite difficult to get it back that is quite interesting right you focus too much on the weaknesses somebody's confidence could get shattered right like oh I, I'm, I'm i'm horrible at this and that my game is horrible it's got all of these holes but Perhaps you're ignoring the fact that you're really good at taking on your, 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 your marker or something of this nature, right? Uh, Chris, I, I wanted to, to get your take on this because um, I have certainly been exposed to quite a few players at the professional level that are not as open as this in terms of their development with their coaches, right? Uh, too often you will get players that will point to a personal beef between him and his coach and that's the reason why you're not being selected right it's not very objective in terms of like well we're playing this opposition today and i'm not very good at crossing with my right foot so therefore coach probably went with a different option today um this sort of scenario we don't see too often at least in my personal view but what is your take on working on um strengths and weaknesses um here in in your experience with uh, players here in the Philippines? Yeah, I think obviously you've you got to take it into the two ends of the spectrum that I've worked at. Obviously, right. on the youth development side with the academy, it is geared towards development. So we can have a more holistic approach to that in terms of, I think Rob said it really well. I think there's a tendency when you have a weakness is you focus on developing that weakness and then you sort of lose sight about what makes that individual player individual mm. and what is special about that individual player. So. And I, I look at my example when I, for myself as example, when I was playing growing up, um, I was quite an attack-minded winger. You might find that quite strange to um, <laughs> to hear this, and I think even on the Dean Hammond episode, he alluded to it. Like I was quite, I was quite confident going past players. I'd get the ball and I'd try and take people on all the time. Then, as I sort of went through my career, there was an emphasis placed upon you know trying to play a bit, a bit quicker, trying to play more two-touch. Um, and, and also like trying to hone in on some of my physical deficiencies because I wasn't the biggest. But rather than sort of maybe try to adapt my game to suit me, it was more like you, know, you got to get stronger. You got you got you got, to be, you got to be able to better at holding off individual players. You need to get spend more time in the gym. Whereas looking back, it probably should have been something along the lines of, you know, can you be better at manipulating the ball on your first touch away from pressure? So you don't have to deal with the physical confrontation or can your movement dictate so you're not always so tight to your marker so you can get yourself on the half turn, face up your opponent so you can beat them off the dribble. You know, it, it, that, that was one of the things that I, again, what Rob was saying is then you then lose sight of what you were good at and then you caught, I was caught between two stalls a lot of the time, you know, between trying to please my coach, trying to do what I felt was right and in the end, I, I really suffered and my confidence, again, which one of the things he mentioned, really took a hit. So, and you probably see me now, my game has completely changed. It's evolved, it's developed. But it was so different to how I was as a kid. And a lot of that actually was probably coached out of me um, as, as, I've, as I've gone through the system. So, um, 
a lot of people who see me, saw me towards the back end of my career would, would probably laugh when they heard what type of player I was as a kid growing up. So, you know, I, I think that's really, really important. When you get to like the men's level, it's all about results. I don't care what anyone says. It's all about results. So I can understand your analogy of, right, we, if, if we're playing against a physically weak opponent and we've got, you know, a six foot two striker who's great, aerially and he's going to cause problems in the opposition penalty box you know I look at someone like Davao Aguilas for example when they had someone like James Young husband up top mm-hmm. I mean, he was so physically dominant in this league because they had guys who could deliver the ball well into the box put it into an area and because James was so physically dominant I mean he scored countless goals from um, from from good deliveries from wide areas so um, you know would I would I have selected some of those players to play in my team no because their all-round game wasn't great but because they were really good at that one specific skill, i.e. getting the ball and putting it into a specific area, and they had players who had the attributes that accentuated that and enabled them to get results, yeah, I can kind of understand why certain players were successful in those teams. So, um, you know, I think from a stylistic standpoint and from a uh, results-driven element of working in the men's game, that's where it differs. You know, and I wouldn't be so concerned about if that left winger was great defensively Right. I'd be like, yeah, but, you know, I'm going to be judging him solely on how many times did you put the ball into the, into the box for James, James Young's husband to create an opportunity for the team. So that's probably where it differs from, from, you know, working with kids, where it's certainly, as Rob alluded to, it's really all about trying to develop their weak, weaknesses as well as accentuating and continuing to develop their strengths. Um, at the end of the day, it's all about the results in, in, the, in the professional game. So you've just got to do whatever it takes to, to find the best solution to win football games. Right. Um, I'm sorry, can I just jump in? So ahead, I think one, intre- one, one really interesting aspect that doesn't really get talked about as much, one thing that also, ha- by us as an academy having this player development plan, it holds us accountable as coaches. So, you know, we, we write down what, their pl- what, the develop- what the strengths are and the weaknesses of the player right at the beginning of their two-year period. Then we can, as coaches, we can look at when they exit us after two years how much have we actually done to that player? You know, it holds us accountable. And I think that's really important because, yes, I know I, I said a lot of the stuff, the onus is on the player to help drive all that stuff, you know, to take ownership of, of their own development. But as coaches, we can't, you know, we have to be able to go back and review that. We have to be. Right. So how far have we got that player? Because if I haven't, if, I, if she hasn't ticked off, 50% of her PDP and her, her weaknesses in the areas that she wants to improve by the, by the time she's left us, I haven't done my job as a, as a development coach. Right. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's a really, really important aspect that, that gets missed is, is coaches having a look. And that's why the, the, the meetings that we have every six weeks are great as well, because we can sit down, and we, we asked the girls, have we, are we doing enough right now? Are you getting enough from us? And that's quite, as a coach, that's, as a coaching team, that's quite tough because you're opening yourself up to massive problems there by saying, no, you, you know what, you're not. Yeah. It's, in the environment that we're trying to create and the culture that we're trying to create around the academy, it's important that we can have those conversations. Now, the girl that's come to us for her first year, um, fresh out of GCSEs and come join the program straight away, she's probably not going to call me out. But I tell you what, when, the, when there's a girl that's 18 and then like she's in her second year, sometimes in her third year, and then she's, she's pushing for a contract 
looking to get a professional contract with the club or, or further her career going out to America, whatever it might be, all of a sudden you'll see them go, do you know what, Rob, we need to do a bit more. Rob, you need to give me a bit more detail on this. How do I do this? What, what, do, you want, what do you want from me here? And that's, in, that's an important aspect of coaching that sometimes get, gets, gets lost. That's really, really interesting. You know, that, that kind of um, environment, that kind of system, it kind of removes as much as possible, the subjective nature of sort of the relationship between coaches and players, right? Some coaches might not like your personality and then blame your crossing um, just because on a whim, right? But you guys have this whole program. You guys are tracking all the progress. It's very clear to the player and to the coach um, just where you are in, the, in that road of development. So, um, yeah, uh, very accountable in that regard. And as you said, it opens up the coach as well to being – uh, called out right um, by the players themselves. Um, very, very interesting. Jing, just just like with that, just one last question, Rob. Just I know you probably want to move it on to the next bit, Jing. But like for for a lot of our coaches, who are probably more grassroots. I would say, like how 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 would they sort of facilitate some of that development side? Because obviously, if they don't have the benefit of say you know video in training sessions, if they don't have the benefit of you know having the contact time to speak to them every six weeks, for example, like. How do you think some of our more sort of grassroots type coaches, how can they best implement some of the things you were saying in terms of developing player weaknesses and, and also continuing to develop their strengths? The only bit that the players, that coaches at grassroots level won't have is the video analysis element of it. It's a conversation. Now, if you want to call it corridor coaching, whatever you want to call it, however you want to say, you know, you can always have a conversation with your players and coaches need to realize that um, it's not for us. Coaching is not for us. No matter what level you're at, coaching is not for us. It's for the individual. It's for the player. It's for the team. Right? So for me to take two seconds out of my day to go and talk to little Jimmy and say, Hey Jim, how are you doing? What, what, what do you think you might be, need to work on this week? How are you getting on? How are you finding the season? All right, yeah, okay. Do you, um, what areas do you think you might need to look to improve over the next couple of weeks? It's, it is that simple. Yeah. Have a conversation with your players and don't just go to the players that you like the best or that are the best, team, best players in that team. You have an obligation to make sure that every player, regardless whether you like them, dislike them, whether they're a pain in the arse or not, you have an obligation to go out to them and try to make them better to improve them you know it might not be you might as a grassroots coach you might not be looking to to develop them in a footballing sense at all because that relationship could be your relationship to that player might be you just need to go and have a conversation with them because they've had a really bad time they're having a really bad time at home just go and be a nice guy have a conversation have conversations with your players be vulnerable to your players am i doing enough for you right now do you think how about we go and do a little bit of finishing or how about we just work on your headers for like five minutes at the end of the session today? And it probably only takes once every two weeks. You, you, you know, you hear about the rule of three sometimes where you, you get kind of, um, um, can you speak to three people on an individual basis per training session? If you can do that and then you certainly work through your group of 15, you know, my math isn't great, but do you know what I mean? Like, it won't take you long to go through every every player in your team. Have a conversation with your players. Be accountable for their development. 
it's quite interesting as well because as you mentioned earlier, it's not only you assessing your players, but how they think of themselves. And sometimes, as you said, the way they assess themselves might not be the way you see them, right? So it really opens up the, the corridor of com conversation and of communication between the coach and the player, which would be beneficial for the development uh, of these talents, right? So um, from what I gathered from, from the answers is that if you want to be a standout player, then you have to excel at the things that you stand out in. But you also have to be at a certain level in terms of your well-roundedness as well. So you have to be working on all aspects of your game, right? Um, yeah, that, that was tremendous. All right, so that was our first question. Um, our, our second one goes over to, to Chris. And this one is also uh, surrounding the development of um, young players, right? For you, Chris, um, what are the key markers that you look at for players that are, are in their developmental stage that help you identify whether a, a particular player is going to be a top talent? Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's funny when this question came up because I'm going to tell you at 100%, any kid when I sort of growing up in my area, who anyone who was earmarked is that kid is going to be the next big thing. That kid's destined for stardom. No, none of them made it. None of them. <laughs> none of them. I, 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 maybe that's just my area. Um, it's a little bit of my, my town in particular is <laughs> a bit of a place where talent goes to die. I think that's, that's like one of the phrases I heard when I was a kid, you know, it's just <laughs> a lot of people who end up invariably doing silly things. Right. But, um, I don't know how it was with you, Rob, because um, obviously your catchment area is a little bit more, I don't know, I don't say rural, but it's, you know, it's not like London where there's a hotbed of talent and it's just, it's just a cauldron of just highly competitive players. But before I go into my answer, like, what was it like with you? Were there a lot of really talented players who, you know, fell by the wayside or were a lot of them sort of from a young age managed to continue to develop and go through the cycle? Um, well, when I was obviously got picked up by Wimbledon, which is a team from South London. So that kind of cauldron of like you were talking about was, it did happen. Um, not, not so much in Ascot, probably a little bit, yeah. more, like you say, a little bit more rural and there's, it's not densely populated, obviously as South London. So, um, but you know, there were still talented players there for sure. Um, but, but, yeah, certainly when I, was, when I joined in my youth team days from when I was a schoolboy at um, 14, 15, right through to, to my YTS days, my youth team days, um, you are then in that environment where talent does fall by the wayside because they have to start getting ruthless, right? So, um, yeah, I've seen many, many really, really talented boys just not kick through to the next level. Did the best players in your age group make it professionally? Um, the ones with the best attitude probably did. Best players. I'm talking about talent-wise. And, and mm -hmm. we're, we're now we're going into like a, a yeah. different realm here. But I'm talking about, you know, when you first walk in the door, first session, the best player you saw, did they make it? No. No. For what reason, in your opinion? For what they did off the pitch. Right. So, like, the, for me, like, one of the things that I've noticed, if you're talking about indicators, and I, I don't think, I think there's a multitude of different things that enable you to be a standout player. And when you're younger, a lot of those are either technical or physical elements. So, are you, again, as Rob was talking about, are you amazing at shooting from outside the box? Like, there's so many, I, I was quite good as a kid. I was really good at, like, chipping the goalkeeper. 
And I would score 50, 60 goals a season because we played 11 a side, massive pitch. I was probably quicker than most players at that age. And I could go through one-on-one and I could chip the keeper. And I would say most games I would score in that manner. Almost every game I would score in that manner, right? So invariably, you know, it gets put in the paper more. Uh, you have a level of confidence and that sort of develops and then that, and that sprouts a level of... Um, Said sort of notoriety around your ability, and then scouts come, etc. And that's that's one of the ways in which you get picked up. Same with the physical element. So you have kids that are bigger, stronger, faster at that age. They tend to dominate. Um, they will maybe enable them to to get in front of a scout quicker because they have physical capabilities. And we've talked about this a lot on our podcast, haven't we? About relative age theory. So kids born within the first three months of a selection year, they're obviously going to have. Um, certain developmental advantages over a kid that's, say, born in August of a, or um, July of a calendar year, which in England, it's, it's September to um, August is the selection window. So, for example, myself, um, I'm September 30. I was always one of the oldest kids in my age group. Uh, and I think it's something like, I think it's even 60 or 70% of kids born between September and December end up getting scholarship contracts at clubs. So up to 70% of kids born within the first three months of the selection window. And that, if you actually look at the research, that is actually consistent across all other sports. And again, that's, that then doesn't necessarily just tie in with the physical and, and the um, uh, technical element. That's also the psychological element because those kids are obviously just psychologically more developed. You know, I, if you look at over the course of a calendar year, if I look, look at my two-year-old and see how he's developed over the past 11 months, he would still be in that same age bracket, but the developmental is the development is significant. So, especially in those formative years, I think it has a huge, huge impact. But if, especially in England right now, kids are going to academies aged six, seven, eight years old in, in some instances. So, if those kids are exposed to high level coaching at six, seven, eight, nine, you know, all of a sudden that compounds over time. And for, for those kids, maybe born at the back end of that um, selection year. It's going to be very hard for them to make up that ground because they've already had three, four years of, of really high-level coaching. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that those kids are going to develop and be, be superstars. So one of the things that I've noticed, and there's a lot of books, a lot of research about this, is, is that um, talent needs trauma. So there's, there's a lot of research surrounding talent needing trauma. So trauma, yeah, in, in an initial instance, you might think like um, the passing of a parent. Or, um, you know, it could be uh, something horrific happened in your background. It could be something as simple as you got dropped. You got dropped from your team. Right? I mean, the, the, the last dance talks about Michael Jordan's traumatic experience, obviously not making his high school basketball team, and then him going on to obviously use that as a motivational factor to go on and develop into arguably the, the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, Muhammad Ali's one's quite famous. He had his bike stolen. That was his traumatic experience that led him to... Um, wanting to go to his local basketball gym and uh, yeah, b- basketball yeah, gym and, and start boxing. So th- there's loads of these things, but there's, there's also ones, I think the Andros Townsend one's quite prominent. I think his bro- elder brother died. In, um, and Ronaldinho is another one, his elder, uh, elder brother died, who was a really promising footballer. And, and you, they, they're a lot, those two talk about how that sort of spurred them on to, to, to wanting to develop and, and wanting to create these wonderful careers for themselves. But I think it's a, it's a really, really difficult one to try and pin down because I'm looking back to my, 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 my academy team at Brighton and the two best players in my age group when I first came in, 
Uh, one I talked about on this podcast before, which was the one who ended up um, going to prison because mm. his father was our coach and uh, was put him under too much pressure and ended up making some bad decisions later on in life, living with a guy who happened to be a drug dealer and then ended up going to prison. So that, that he, was the, he was probably the second best player in my age group. And the other one was someone who was just physically dominant at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, just very physically dominant, uh, played centre-back almost exclusively his whole development phase. So from nine, 10, 11, all the way up to under 16. And then all of a sudden we were all pretty much the same size at 17, 18 and found himself having to play it right back, learning a brand new position at 18 because, and because he hadn't been exposed to playing in different positions, understanding different elements of the game, he, he found that really, really difficult and been overly reliant on his physical capabilities from a young age. So in essence, I think there are, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what, what, what some of the key markers are because there's so many different variables. Some of the things that I've noticed, especially in the, in the more development phase is you can tell when a kid's got a really, really good attitude. And what I mean by that is, you know, if a kid comes to training and like Rob was alluding to, if they ask you questions about, you know, how can I improve my game? How, uh, what aspects of my game do I need to develop in order for me to play on a Saturday or a Sunday? And the example I give you, there's a kid who I had when I was coaching in America. His name was John Becker. I'll never forget him. He was on my U8 um, travel team, which is like your, your, your local town team. But I had this really unbelievable travel team. Uh, and you might think this is ridiculous for eight years old, but they were all outstanding, like unbelievable level players for, for just a regular town team. So the equivalent would be a Sunday, Sunday league or grassroots team. And this one kid, John Becker, he, he was desperate to make the team, but he was on a 14-man roster. He was number 13. He was number 13. He was just awful. But I remember him that summer. He signed up for every single program that our club put on. Um, quick feet, skills development, uh, physical programs, everything. He just signed up for everything. And over the course of that summer, he came back. And I remember we did a preseason. And all of a sudden, he was the third best player on our team. We had two kids, absolute standouts. But he ended up, I would say he was about the third best player on our team. And there were kids on that team who were shocked. Coming back at under nine, they were like, wow, what the heck happened to John Becker? Like, I can't believe John Becker's this good. And what was really interesting about him was I actually left the following year. I stayed in contact with, with that set of parents because we ended up being really, really close. And the best player on that team and John, John, those two kids ended up going through the system and they're on the cusp now. So they're about to go into the collegiate ranks. But I know they ended up playing for a top, top uh, academy in New Jersey where, uh, where I worked uh, and were there for about six or seven years. So they both played at pretty much probably after the MLS, the, the, the second level, the second highest level that they could possibly have played at, at the youth level. And he was just someone who, he just asked the right questions and was willing to act upon any answers that you gave him. Very coachable. Um, was really willing to do whatever it took to, to further his development. And, and we're talking about a very young, young kid here. And he was able to supersede a lot of players who, on paper, were far more capable, physically far more capable, uh, technically far more proficient. But just his attitude was, was, was second to none. And he was able to work his way up the ladder um, to carve out a really successful youth career. Now, what that will happen after this, I don't know. You know, what, what will happen thereafter, I don't know. Like, maybe... He'll go to college and continue to, 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 to develop on, on, this, on this trajectory. He might go to college and 
experience the other other parts of life you know like, like we had with louis clark on, on his episode here um last week you know and overindulging in some of the extracurricular activities that, that are available to kids aged 18 to 22 you know so you you, you just don't know um how, how it's all going to pan out i i, I think alex inglethorpe the, the liverpool academy uh, director was talking about talent can get you up to 16 so if you're supremely talented you know you can get to a certain level but thereafter, the, the attitude has such a significant impact, just being able to grind it out. And the significant one, I, I think, was, was Dean Hammond who came on our show. And I think he was an extremely talented player as a, as a, as a, as a young kid. Um, you know, came through our academy system at Brighton, but definitely wasn't the most talented. I would probably put him middle of the pack in terms of sort of talent-wise. There were definitely more talented players in our team, but, but had gone on to probably have the best career out of all the kids that I played with at, at the club. And, and he alluded to it on, on the podcast that we had, Jing. You know, he, he just attributes it down to just every day going into practice and wanting to be the best player in training. And, and again, that type of attitude compounds over time. And that for me is, is, is the most clear indicator of whether or not an individual is going to make it. Do they have the capability to go in every day to train and, and just want to be the best they can be every single day? That sounds a bit warm and it sounds a bit fluffy. But in terms of pinning down individual attributes, that, that's the one that seems to have stood the test of time, certainly over, over the course of the players that I've come across. The ones that typically have been able to keep their head down, work hard, and try to progress on a daily basis, they're the ones who seemingly have had the, the most successful careers, I would say. Quite interesting. So it's, it's your mentality and your attitude more than your specific uh, sort of skills that you have, um, which I guess makes sense. You know, it, it makes sense to me because there's football in particular, you know, there's 11 positions uh, or 11 players on the pitch. There's so many different types of attributes that you, you could have to thrive in a football match. I mean, I mean, if, if we were just going to do like what Rob mentioned earlier was in the NBA, for example, in basketball, you guys are measuring your percentages, maybe perhaps your vertical leap, how quickly you can run from this point to that point and uh, your wingspan and all of that. It's important uh, physically, right? But if we were going to base it off of that, then players from Barcelona perhaps would, would, would struggle if that was going to be yeah. the only barrier, way to um, judge whether or not you were going to make it, right? So um, attitude for you is, is the key attribute that you need to have is to have a positive attitude or uh, a willingness to work on your game on a regular basis for a long but, period and, of time. And, and exactly, on, on a continual basis, because we all fluctuate. Yeah. We've all had those periods that, uh, over the course of our careers, whether it be football, whether it be work or business, whatever, where we're super motivated and we, and we have that burning desire to want to be the best. But then that wanes often, yeah. you know, that wanes yeah. and it sort of peaks and troughs and, and it's, it's hard to continue to, to, to sustain. So... You know, I, I can certainly look back over my course of the career and at the time you think you're working hard, but you're not, you know, you're really not. And I think that, that there are other contributing factors to, to why that, that, that does wane and why that peaks and troughs. But, you know, it, it, those individuals who seemingly are able to keep that on a consistent upward trajectory, they're the ones who seem to seemingly do, do that over time. And what I would say is, you know, of course, there are players like your, your Balotelli's and your people, you know, your more sort of um, maverick players who do have a tendency, I would say, on, on the surface at least, as an outsider looking in, who, who might not have the best quote-unquote attitude, but maybe their talent is so off the scale, so off the charts, that 
again, coming back to what we were saying with Rob's early one, their super skills are so high and they're so elevated that there's only a small subset of individuals who have that talent then coaches might be willing to work with that and try to correct that or try to be willing to live with that element if that makes sense mm-hmm. but invariably they'll never fulfill their potential because they're unable to keep on that on that steady upward trajectory in, in my mind and that's how i see it and, and there's, there's there's loads of players that are like that there are loads of players like that so th- there is there is still a, a, a marketplace for players with supreme talent with really poor attitudes there, there is that marketplace. There, there are players who have that. And, and that's just where you know, they have a subset. They're in a subset of individuals whereby their skill set is so unique and, and there's only a finite amount of people who have that skill set. Maybe there are coaches who are willing to oversee that. Um, so I think that, that's something that I need to, 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 to get out there because there are definitely players who are out there who have horrific attitudes and still manage to, to, to play at, at a really high level. Sure. Um, but we talk, if you're talking about what separates and what are indicators across a broader sample, sample size, then definitely attitude, definitely attitude is, is, is the one. Rob, your yeah, take on this? Yeah no, I, yeah, no, I definitely agree with Chrissy. I mean, the first thing I write down was, um, was attitude and coachability to the players. Um, it's interesting you should talk about Mavericks as well, because, I mean, that's probably a whole different... This topic really is an absolute rabbit hole. And there'll be so many coaches that have got different varying views on this and we can go off into a multitude of different tangents of this. But I mean, that could be a question for another day as to how do you coach a maverick? Um, how do you get the best out of those players that, that for whatever reason, they, they aren't very coachable and they haven't got that good attitude. Do you know what I mean? It, what's happened in there prior to them coming to you that has made them more difficult to coach you know that's a, that's a whole other question but 100% coachability and attitude is is something that every coach will look for um, I think the the old saying of you know, like talent gets you in the door it's what it's what your attitude and your character how you your attitude and your character is will keep you there essentially and that does it for part one of this conversation with Rob Gear and Chris Greatwish in this new segment that we have debuted on Across the Line. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please do subscribe over YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. We've got part two dropping next week, so make sure to look out for that.